Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Our World Cup series here on the 90 Min podcast feed. Uh, we're going to be looking back on the 2014 tournament on this edition. And joining me to do so are Ali, Brian, Sean and Scott. How are we all doing? Good. Good, thanks. Yeah. I'm yeah, very well, Harry. Thank you very much. A little bit hungry, <laughs> but I'm okay. Is, is, it, is it lunchtime well, at the time I, of recording? I had a small breakfast, and I'm starving. Well, but so I he's will contribute be, effectively <laughs> he's to gonna this be, podcast. He's going to be hangry as well uh, on the show, which is we're, always great. We're all hangry, but it's a pleasure to be here, even though it might bring back to me some painful memories to speak about this World Cup, <laughs> Some difficult memories. Try being Greek, Brian. You've got no World Cup memories <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but let's uh, quickly bring you guys up to speed with what the general world landscape was at the time. Barack Obama was the US president and David Cameron was the UK prime minister. Scotland had just voted to remain part of the UK. Uh, Sing by Ed Sheeran was the number one song in the UK and 22 Jump Street was the number one film. Now, in terms of football, Real Madrid had just beaten Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final. Uh, Gareth Bale, of course, scoring in extra time, having a big impact. Scott's smiling there. Loves it. Uh, And in terms of domestic football here in the UK, Manuel Pellegrini's Manchester City won the Premier League thanks to... uh, Chris Dambol and and Steven Gerrard's slip. That Uh, was 2014? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Luis Suarez scored 31 goals that year and won the PFA Player of the Year award what do you guys remember I'll come to you first Scott in terms of around this World Cup what were you doing what were you thinking going into it so I just said before we started recording that I have a funny story Um, I was actually Brian might I was working for 90 Min at the time uh, when we were known as FTB Pro as a freelancer and I entered a competition to go to this tournament with an unnamed betting company that doesn't exist anymore. All expenses paid, kind of go out there and film content. I made the most stupid application video where I was backing Italy. You know, we talked on another episode of this that Italy are like my tournament team. And obviously Wales in the 2022 World Cup are there and Italy aren't. So, you know, uh, I can support Wales this time, but I made it myself on like iMovie. Oh, sent I love it in. Uh, it's 2022 and I still use it. You know it. that picture of Andrea Pirlo sipping wine, sat down on a in a vineyard? I recreated that in the rain <laughs> in my back garden, my parents' back garden in Wales. Sent it along and didn't win. Uh, but yeah, that was 
That was what I was doing around the 2014 wait, wait, World what, Cup. What did you have to do in the video in order to win? What was had the- to be like? I had to show that I was like creative and relatively funny. I think the video was okay. You still have it somewhere. So you had to show that. So you had to show that you were creative. So you went and sat in your parents' back garden. Really going above and beyond to show. Hey, I was very limited. I'm still not very good with video now. But to be like, other people in the team might remember because I campaigned. Because basically, you had to make a fuss, right? Okay. And I asked all my mates. I asked the asked like Chris Dealey, for example, to hey share my video so I so people can see that I should be the one that this uh, this brand picks to go to the World Cup. I can't remember who did win, but I think. I wasn't the only one in the media scene at the moment to actually enter this competition either. Uh, not going to name any names. Oh, come I'll on. I'll tell you after. <laughs> Chris Dealey. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, Brian, what do you remember going into this tournament? Because obviously your beloved Argentina were the second favourites going into this competition. So you must have been full of hope. Yes, of course. I, I think that for every World Cup we are full of hope before it and hopeless um, a few weeks later. Um, <laughs> this has been the story of Argentina and, and most of the nations over the last, I mean, forever. But um, first of all, crazy to think that eight and a half years ago uh, I was working with Scott together um, and we are still working together and um, I was working for FTV Pro back then as well and I remember that um, during the last part of the World Cup, I was in California. You know, one of these crazy things that people do when people are in love. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was not in Argentina or in Brazil leaving the World Cup. I was in uh, in California, I was in LA when Argentina lost this uh, this final. Wow. Would you, uh, if you could rewind back the clock, would you still be in California? <laughs> Putting him on the spot. <laughs> Um, but it was obviously a tournament that took place in Brazil. Um, so the fact that it was in South America, um, I'll come to you, Sean. Do you think that that makes a big difference? Because obviously the bookies sort of reflected that in having Brazil and Argentina. Obviously they're great sides, mm. but there does tend to be this this kind of, I don't know what to call it. There, there seems to be you know a want to make the South American sides favourite when it's on their continent and when it's in Europe. You tend to get a European favourite. Do, do you think that that was a factor here? Yeah, I think it was. And I think the thing that sticks out in my mind is that it really annoyed me how people kept putting Brazil on this pedestal because I think it was clear, and we're going, we're going to go into the matches obviously, but I think it was clear after the first couple of matches that they just weren't all that, but they kept finding a way to win and it just kept annoying me and eventually they didn't win it. So got some redemption there. But I've, everything about it was like magical, like... Do you remember the old ITV intro for mm. um, this tournament? You know, the Was it Bra- the Brazil? Yeah, Brazil. Yeah, yeah just, just that, that um, having kickoffs at normal times, like, just felt like it was properly magical. Like, but, re- like re- it, was a hu- it was a huge footballing nation, a huge country, and they, to be fair to them, they, it was a good job of hosting, I think. That makes it a bit special, right? I think that uh, World Cups in football nations like mm. Brazil have some plus, some, some extra, and we... Like four years before in South Africa or four years later in Russia, it was not the case. Of course, it's not going to be the case in Qatar um, this year. And I I think that uh, World Cups in nations that are so passionate about football, like like the Brazilians, have some something extra. Yeah. Ali, do you think that that's... uh... Do you think that that's something that comes into play before the tournament in terms of the anticipation around it? And then maybe when the tournament starts, that kind of dies down a little bit? Because once the football's happening, do you pay as much attention to the host nation, do you think? 
Yeah, I think the the cameramen at the tournament must have had a field day because the fans in Brazil were just amazing. Like, yeah, the fan shots they always got of. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll come to that semi-final game, but like just the <laughs> the tears of, of of the Brazil fans that game were uh, very memorable. Um, but yeah, I think similar to to Sean, I remember yeah Brazil being really hyped up as because yeah, I mean they they go into the majority of major tournaments as favourites just because of the fact they're Brazil, and then it's on home soil as well. And then I think in the first game they they scored an own goal within like 15 minutes, and it sort of yeah maybe uh, <laughs> levelled <laughs> expectations a bit more. Brilliant. Um, let's quickly talk, Sean, about England's chances because they went into this unbeaten in qualifying. They scored 31 goals, conceding just four. Uh, the front line that they took to the tournament, however, was a little bit questionable. Ricky Lambert, Danny Welbeck, Daniel Sturridge and Wayne Rooney were all in there. But generally, it wasn't the strongest England squad. And with Roy Hodgson at the helm, there were question marks. It absolutely was not the strongest squad that England have ever taken to a tournament. And I think... Because similar to Brazil, like because we're England, we will assume that we go at least to the knockout stages. I think that's kind of the minimum expectation. But looking back at some of the players that were in the squad, you do wonder what on earth we were thinking. <laughs> um, and when when I was watching back some of the goals from our games, it's just like, oh my god, we never stood a chance. It's just, and a lot of the criticism actually from England going to the World Cup was around Wayne Rooney in that. He wasn't being played as a striker. It was like, if he's not playing as a striker, should he even be playing at all? And that kind of dominated everything. And that was uh, kind of felt like the writing on the wall that if we're questioning our best player, then we've got no chance. Scott, do you remember looking at England and thinking, you know, that's a, that's a tricky group? Because I, I know a lot of people expected them to go through with Italy. Those two were in that group. Uruguay were in the group. Costa Rica were in the group. But in the end, neither Italy nor England made it through. The squad was poor, as, as Sean says. Did you expect it to be such a bad campaign for England, though? I suppose I was conditioned to England being bad at tournaments at that point. Uh, and yeah, like you say, like taking Wayne Rooney as an example, that was obviously around the time where he, you know, he was on the decline, wasn't he? And he, that list of forwards that you just mentioned, you compare it to now and the stacking of players they've got in a bunch of different positions. I know that the squad that has been announced before this tournament coming up is getting some criticism and some stick but England have developed far better players that were named in that team uh, difficult really but you know Uruguay had some properly informed players and Italy were always that team with a little bit more tournament pedigree tournament experience uh, they'd won the World Cup in 2006 obviously so they do have that to, that experience to fall back on but yeah with England I just Usually, or as a Welshman, go into tournaments thinking, oh, God, I just really want England to... Just shut up. Stop singing that bloody song. I just can't be bothered with it because Wales don't make tournaments. I'm sure Scottish and Irish people feel the same as well. It's like you're having all of this on TV and it's all England this, England that. And when, you know, you just kind of want them to exit the competition as well, soon as possible. <laughs> well, that itself must be a different landscape for you now because Wales have been to what? Three tournaments since then now, so mm. it's, it's changed a bit. The the the, the, like the way that it's changed with the with recent Euros is hey, it's half time in the Wales game. We're just going to go to the England camp <laughs> <laughs> every you game. Hated it, yeah. But yeah. you could have expected uh, England to struggle in this group. The group was just too difficult. I think that what nobody expected was Costa Rica to win. Mm. Um, mm. After the draw, I remember. Um, we had an editor from Costa Rica and I remember everybody telling him 
don't bother, don't even go, you will get smashed. <laughs> but I, I think, yes, of course, being in, in the group with three former world champions, you have no chance and nobody expected that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ali, what do you remember of it from an England perspective? Because they didn't only fail to qualify, they finished rock bottom of that group. Yeah, I think it was it was Roy Hodgson's second tournament and he'd had a bit of a free hit at Euro 2012 because he'd, he'd come in like really last minute after Fabio Capello. And yeah, it's a really weird squad when you look back on it because it was, I think, Gerard and Lampard both retired like basically straight after. So it was kind of the last the last hurrah for like the final golden generation. And then you'd think that we were sort of bringing through uh, exciting up-and-coming players as well. But yeah, when you look back on that squad, it's really only like Luke Shaw and Jordan Henderson that had any sort of longevity at the top level. It was sort of like, yeah, Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, Ross Barkley's in there. Um, You're selling Danny Welbeck short. He was in the shot of making 2022. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, quite an underwhelming, an underwhelming tournament. But, yeah, when you look at that squad, I don't think we could have necessarily expected much better. As Brian mentions, really difficult group, really difficult group. But, Brian, for Argentina, there was no such problem. They were in an easier group with Nigeria, Bosnia and Herzegovina and, of course, Iran. But Argentina won all three group games. Messi was in inspired form. Um, you were in LA, sunning it up. How were you feeling about Argentina's prospects of going all the way in the competition at that point? Yeah, it's true that it was not the most difficult group. None of the games were easy. I remember especially the match against Iran. Messi scored in the last minute only. Um, we, were, we won the three games, but all of them by one goal difference only. And I do remember Messi being on Messi mode for the group stage. Um, it was not the case that much in the most important moment of the World Cup, but I remember, I think, Messi, yeah, definitely Messi score in all the matches, um, four goals in total, and Argentina qualified without uh, any problem to the following round. Sure, group stages are sometimes quite entertaining and sometimes can be quite dull when the draw goes in a way that means the favourites have favourable groups and, and often progress without any drama. Mm. Do you remember this has been a particularly exciting group stage? Because when I'm sort of scrolling back through now and looking at these groups, yeah. there were some groups that you looked at and you couldn't make out the two clear favourites. And we don't always get that. Yeah, I mean, my research for this was there's really good um, compilations on YouTube where they just have all of the goals from the tournament with like the native um, commentary on it. Amazing. And so the group stage was much better than I remember. I remember being good. I didn't realise how just how good it was. There was lots of stuff that kind of going on. Um, I was saying to Brian before this um, about Spain in particular. They came in as, you know, back-to-back -back European champions. They were the world champions. But there was something so satisfying about watching them get torn limb <laughs> from limb. And then in the, to kind of top it all off in their dead rubber game, they had David Villa and Fernando Torres score, which was kind of like closed the chapter on that part of their history. But they weren't the only big team to go out and they weren't the only shock. And that's what, that's why I like the World Cup in the format is now. I know it's going to change for 2026, I think. So you just, you can never pr properly predict it. You can do all the wall charts and predictions online all you want. It's never turns out the way you're going to think it is. Yeah. did have some iconic matches this tournament though. Obviously we'll get mm. on to the one later on in the tournament. But in the group stages, you mentioned Spain there and obviously not going through. That Robin Van Persie header, Oh, yeah. was just like that. that's replayed you know it's one of those clips that comes up on your timeline every few months in there and you're just like what a ball <laughs> what a bloody header that was and Netherlands like pounding Spain 5-1 mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, pretty early on in the competition as well was a bit of a statement. And like, like you just said there, Sean, I was a little bit satisfied at that because I don't know how you guys think of this, but that Spain football, it's not my type. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it got boring. Yeah, like, it, it was just, it was... Keep... Same with Barcelona. I think everybody ah, was bored yeah. uh, by then, really? you know, after they winning the Euros in 2008, 2012 and the World Cup. And I think that many people were expecting Spain to finally lose. I don't know if anybody would have imagined that they were going to be out of the World Cup after just two matches and with 5-1 uh, in the in the first game against Netherlands. I, I really appreciated that Spanish style of football. I appreciated it. It didn't mean I liked it or enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I was. They, they won a lot. You can, yeah, you can appreciate that. Let's, so to round up the group stage, then Brazil and Mexico went through in Group A. Um, Croatia were in that group and didn't make it through, and they've got a really good pedigree, despite being a relatively new nation in these competitions. Uh, Netherlands and Chile went through, meaning that Spain missed out. And people forget what a good Chile side that was. Arturo Vidal, Alexis Sanchez, and they went on, of course, to win the Copa America twice. twice. After that, uh, Group C, Colombia. We're going to speak about the final of the World Cup and you have to remind me about the Copa Americas as well. Thanks. Just, just making sure we cover all bases. Um, group C saw Colombia win the group and Greece get through. Can you believe that? Greece getting through in the World Cup. And that means Ivory Coast and Japan missed out. Costa Rica and Uruguay, as mentioned, went through in England's group. France and Switzerland went through in Group E, as you'd expect. Argentina and Nigeria from Group F, Germany and the USA in Group G. Now, this was interesting because Portugal were one of the teams that a lot of people expected to be quite competitive at the tournament. Cristiano Ronaldo was in excellent form, you know, generally speaking, but Portugal were really poor and ended up crashing out. And then, of course, Belgium and Algeria went through from Group H. So we move into the round of 16. Uh, Brazil versus Chile. This one went all the way to penalties. What do you guys remember of this game? Because Chile were very fancied at the time, but because of the, the home factor, as, as you kind of mm. mentioned earlier, Brazil were really hyped up and built up, but they scraped through in the end. Yeah, and I was really rooting for Chile on this. I, I thought Sanchez going into this game was, I thought he could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Neymar. I thought that Vidal was unbelievable. And for most of this match, it did look, I thought that if the side was going to nick it, it was probably going to be Chile. Um, and then just going out the most heartbreaking way and for them to have even got that far you see mentioned the crowds like every Brazil game at this tournament like I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything but it, it looked like there's more people in the stadium than there should be all in yellow shirts and it must have been so hard to even go to really compare with that and fair play to Chile but they got they got their rewards in the end of the, last, the next couple of years but this must have been going for them yeah for sure um Brian, Ali, Colombia beat Uruguay by a couple of goals to nil. This was James Rodriguez's tournament. What happened? It, it was James Rodriguez's tournament. And also remember that Uruguay didn't have uh, Luis Suarez for that game. He was banned after biting another player. After How did we get that far in this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Uruguay was not Uruguay. They were missing such an important player and... Um, I think that everyone remembers James goal in, in that match. Absolutely. Ali, what, what's happened to him since? I mean, he's knocking about in Greece now playing for Olympiacos. That's, that's where you go for a final payday. <laughs> but it could, he could have had a so much more amazing, memorable career. 
Yeah, I, I remember because obviously everyone talks about that goal in the, the the last sixteen. He scored an amazing goal against Japan in the group stages, mm. where he uh, he like fainted past a player and then did this amazing little dink. He was just he was so good to watch that tournament. Um, yeah, and again, I remember when he was at Everton a couple of years ago, and he like he had five brilliant games right at the start of the season, and then just yeah, I don't know. What Do happened. you remember when everyone was like, "Oh wow, this guy is going to change <laughs> Everton forever"? I remember saying at the time on the shows that we do on the channel, I was like. It's five games. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, wait a minute. And then he disappeared into thin air and so did Everton. So I guess the question is, was he ever that good? Or did, was he having a perp, Was he going through a purple patch on the biggest stage at the right time, which elevated his reputation beyond where it should have ever been? There's always that example of players who do well at a World Cup and like go for massive money afterwards. He was this example from this tournament. He probably, Brian, would he consider his career a success, even though it was like a, he kind of, you know, shone really brightly, but went out quite quickly? I think it's one of these cases of players that have a lot of talent, but are not consistent enough. So at top form, I think that he's definitely a top player, but I don't know if his career was a massive success. He could have done much more. I think that I get this impression, this feeling. The Netherlands also uh, went through. They beat Mexico by two goals to one uh, with a controversial 94th minute penalty. And Arjen Robben dive. Never seen that before. <laughs> I, was, I actually went back and I intensely looked at this decision like it was like I'm the VAR or something. And the more I looked at it, the more I think, you know what, maybe that probably is a pen. But I don't. I don't. I wouldn't feel good awarding it. I felt. It felt harsh on Mexico. I mean, we talked to um, our US editor Lizzie, who's. Um, Mexican and I was saying to her what could be more painful than going out in this way and it was, we can't like Stephen Bergwijn versus Leicester kind of nonsense this is as close as you'll get to that like this is Mexico was it Mex this was their sixth um, last 16 elimination successes oh, I think God, it was that six or six it, 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 it yeah. has happened to Mexico in every single World Cup since uh, USA 94 yeah. that they get eliminated in the round of 16 if you're Mexican coming away from this, you're thinking, we're never, this is it, we're never getting past this stage ever. It must be a horrible feeling that way. <laughs> <laughs> it must be tough. Uh, also, Costa Rica, they continued their progression. They beat Greece on penalties, as you can imagine. 1-1 draw, Greece involved. It wasn't a very entertaining encounter. Um, that's just the way it goes. But Scott, France defeated Nigeria by two goals to the And Paul Pogba got his first World Cup goal. When you think about where Paul Pogba was then and where he is now in terms of his career trajectory, it's kind of hard to believe. We just talked about James Rodriguez. Um, no, I think Pogba's had a better career, I guess. Is that debatable? Uh, but I know I used to very much defend him throughout his, his time at United. Uh, but it's probably one of unfulfilled potential as well. We all know how good he is. He's at Juventus now, missing this World Cup because of Injury hasn't played for Juventus barely at all. And yeah, it's a. I think he's so talented. And he was at that time, I think he won like player of the tournament, a youth tournament as well, just before that. Or maybe he was actually named player of the tournament. He won the young player youth, youth player of the tournament at this tournament, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I knew he won one. Uh, and he was obviously this big hope, uh, so talented. And he's done it at an international level for France, you know, but. Um, I like him, he does get a hard time, but there is, obviously, we think of how good he was and how good he can be. It's a bit of unfulfilled potential there. Ali, Germany uh, scraped past Algeria. It had to go to extra time. 
as an England fan, you must look at Germany and find them so annoying because they <laughs> always seem to find a way, even without playing well, to get the results. They're just efficient. Mm. Oh yeah, they 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 were basically everything England weren't. Like yeah, England had such a or not necessarily this tournament, but had so many talented teams that just very sort of apologetically couldn't win. And then yeah, Germany could just yeah, they've just always had this ability to to get the job done no matter how well they play. And and this was kind of the birth of the, the sweeper-keeper talk, wasn't it, around Manuel Neuer, who had you know, really surprised people in this competition by how high his starting position was, Scott, because goalkeepers, they don't do that. They stay in their penalty areas. You think now, I was saying this the other day, but Man United still stand by David De Gea. And this was in 2014. So you think of like how badly United have like operated in terms of not staying with the times. Pep Guardiola made this decision and brought Claudio Bravo in in like 2016, wasn't it? Sacked him off for Edison, who was a better version of Claudio Bravo like a year later or something like that. But Neuer changed the game, obviously. He's... Uh... Remember there's that um, video of that Dejan Stankovic goal uh, in the Champions League yeah. where yeah. I think it was Neuer in goal play, was, playing yeah. for Schalke at the time came out and did a flying header and Stankovic <laughs> just followed it back over him. Uh, but it, it's really changed the game and it's set the tone for how goalkeeping should be nowadays, what's required of goalkeepers, how good they are with their ball at, the ball at feet. Uh, and Neuer's still kicking on. You know? Yeah, and the way managers nowadays use that as a part of their defence as opposed to a separate sort of entity if you like but um, also Algeria's consolation goal in that game scored by Jabu was the latest goal scored in World Cup history which beat Del Piero's goal in the 2006 semi-final um, Brian you mentioned the group games for Argentina weren't as straightforward as necessarily the group table looked this game against Switzerland um, in, in this round was not straightforward at all it took a 118th minute winner from Angel Di Maria what would you remember of this one? Yeah, it was an easy at all, a very stressful match. And this is when the team of Messi started to become the team of Macedano, more than the team of Messi. Um, I remember before the World Cup, everyone would say Argentina has a lot of talent up front, so many people to score with Messi, Agüero, um, Iwain, Lavezzi, but people say you will struggle in defense and the team was so solid in defense. Argentina in knockout stages didn't concede a single goal until Gotze scored in minute 114th of the final. We were so solid, but we would not create chances or score either. And yeah, against Switzerland, Di Maria scored in the minute 118th and we thought it's over. And in the last two minutes, uh, Switzerland almost scored twice. They, they hit the post, but Argentina made it. And, so, yeah. so what you saw was a more efficient Argentine side as opposed to what you'd seen in the past, which was flair, all of that stuff. At that time, though, did that make you feel confident that Argentina could win the World Cup? Because all the shortcomings you'd seen in the past, you know, those defensive fragilities that you mentioned, they weren't there this time. And although it wasn't the Argentina you were used to, it was an Argentina that was functional. It was solid. It was efficient. But... It was not a, maybe not a nice thing to, to watch. You don't care about that in the World Cup, to be honest. But um, I don't think that we were too comfortable with the team. In any case, when you are in knockout stages, it's about let's make it to the next round and then you see it. But we started noticing more maybe after the other game that um, the team had some problems. Um, 
um, to attack. Um, and this, be this became especially very evident after Di Maria got injured. Mm -hmm. um, Belgium also made it through uh, after beating the USA uh, in extra time. Scott, was this the point where people started to look at Belgium and think... No, I remember this as the Tim Howard game. Am I right? Yeah, it was this one. Where he made, I want to say 16 saves or something like that. I, I, I don't know whether it's in the notes. It's not, but I will check but it. I think this is the game where Belgium... Uh, had a ton of shots and Tim Howard was absolutely inspired. And I think it is actually referred to as the Tim Howard game. I could be Definitely wrong. Definitely isn't America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Belgium, it, it must be the one you're talking about because they had 39 shots. Yes. 17 of which were on target. You see, one, one off. Uh, 17 on target, yeah. but they won? Yeah, Belgium won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two won. Okay, fair enough. I, I wasn't too far away then. But um, yeah, uh, that's that start of that Belgium, you know, I hate the term golden, golden generation, generation, but we're just just about to see the end of it now. Uh, probably wasn't at their peak at that time, but, you know, they, they had a lot of uh, quality players coming through, like, you know, Eden Hazard, Kevin. Well, just, just to run through that team, you had Courtois in goal. He had a back four of Alderweireld, Va Daniel Van Boyten, remember him? He must have been about 40 then, Jesus. <laughs> Vincent Company and Jan Vertonghen. The midfield was Axel Witzel with Fellaini, who was starting to build a reputation for himself in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard and Dries Mertens all in behind Divock Origi. There's plenty of talent there. And that wasn't even including Lukaku, who was on the bench. Kevin Miralas, remember him? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this was a Belgian side that a lot of people thought could achieve something and obviously they managed to scrape through but they met Brian's Argentina uh, in the next round and uh, again it was a functional performance from Argentina and one in which they scraped over the line yeah we scored in the first 10 minutes and then during the rest of the match I remember watching this game and getting the impression that Belgium had a lot of talent but it was a naive team maybe very young and not uh, ambitious enough um, it seemed like they were okay with uh, quarterfinals performance with reaching that and, and not more than that and yeah it was an efficient game Argentina scored we didn't do anything we didn't do much more and Belgium only remembered that they needed to attack uh, in the last three minutes that's it Sean do you think there's something to be said for like mentality in these tournaments i.e. were Belgium at the point where they had all the talent but didn't have the experience yet to be truly competitive in the latter stages of these competitions yeah 100% they had the, what, this is their first tournament in like, I don't know how many years but a long time um, they needed those kind of scars to go through to go and learn these things obviously they, did, they picked up a few more scars a couple of years later didn't they Scott um, <laughs> I, I was definitely going to mention that <laughs> but yeah I, I agree with Brian Like you didn't feel like this was a team that was going to be capable of coming back from that 1-0 deficit. It was a really nice finish as well. We need to talk about the goal. This was pretty much as good as it got for Higuain at this tournament. Um, but just the really kind of instinctive finish. And then if you're Belgian, you just look, you're just looking at that, you think, God, what the hell are we going to do now? We're playing this monster defensive team. Mascherano's there, just sweeping up everything. Mascherano got a special mention in the notes, Belgium. Uh, Brian, I beg your pardon, for this game. Um, all action performance keeping sort of Belgium's creative players quiet. He was so strong. He became the icon of the team. That's why I said before, uh, after Switzerland, it was not the team of Messi anymore. It was the, the team of Mascherano. 
and he was so strong and it's what you said the team was efficient but it had a cost this game against Belgium and it's what I said before Di Maria got injured during the first half and after that Argentina would not score any other goal for the rest of the World Cup there were 300 minutes 60 minutes of the remaining of the game against Belgium plus two matches with uh, extra times and again Aguero, Higuain, Messi whatever you want no goals at all yeah, I mean, speaking of efficient, Ali, uh, Germany took on France in the quarterfinals and got through with a 1-0 win. Germany, I think, were favourites in this game. I mean, I looked at the, the two teams a little bit earlier on. That French team wasn't great. You know, it had people like Matteo Debussy in it at mm-hmm. right back. It had Johan Kabay in midfield, a good player, but not, not a world-class player. People like Val Buena. Germany were expected to get through, but again... You know, they, they just about did it. It's like they, they don't really get going until the very late stages of a competition. Yeah, I was going to say, you sort of, you can kind of feel them like growing in the tournament, I suppose. So yeah, it was the, the same in the previous round. They sort of edged through and the same here. But that's like, that's that's what happens in major tournaments, isn't it? The team that plays the best in the opening group game isn't the one that yeah. necessarily goes on to win it. But yeah, you saw Germany just sort of gaining momentum. And obviously that, uh, yeah, you really saw that in the final, the final two matches. Ali makes a great point there, bringing it to modern day. I've just spent some time going off about the criticism Gareth Southgate gets for picking Mm -hmm. not the most exciting teams, uh, but those teams don't win tournaments. I'm not saying England will win the 2022 one, but, you know, generally that's how teams operate through tournaments. And I'm thinking, like, how many teams can you name that have really played expansively Mm -hmm. and won a tournament over the past, you know, 20 years, maybe Italy? There's always a team at the start of a competition that everyone goes, oh my God, they've wiped the floor with their first couple of opponents. They're going to win it. It's never the case. Never. It's never the case. And Germany, actually, in, in securing a place in the semi-final, became the first team ever to reach that stage of the World Cup in four consecutive tournaments. So you're talking about a team that have been there, done it, know what they're doing. Um, Brazil, Sean, they took on Colombia and they beat them by two goals to one. And at this point, World Cup fever in Brazil was was nuts, wasn't it? Yeah, as I said at the top, I was so annoyed that Brazil kind of kept getting away with it. They dumped, they dumped out the two kind of dark horses who were punching above their weight. Um, think the, the first thing you think of when you think of this game for me is the David Luiz free kick and the celebration. Mm-hmm. That, that is properly just unbelievable. That's like really kind of fairy tale stuff. Like just, when I was watching back the goal, I had to keep rewinding to watch just how perfectly he hit it. Because I was trying to think, could I workshop this as a, did Brazil get lucky that Ospina is about 5 foot 11? <laughs> I, c- I, c- I, couldn't, I couldn't get into it. It was just an unbelievable free kick. Do you know what uh, sticks out for me in that one is the, I remember Colombia roughing up Brazil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Neymar got a back injury yep. uh, late on in the game. And it all changed from there. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that, I think that's the thing that really stands out because I remember it was a, it was quite rough, wasn't it? And I think England found that out at the next World Cup as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, I think that really was a massive moment for Brazil because obviously going into the rest of the tournament without the golden boy, they were also still how it turned out. <laughs> they also lost Thiago Silva uh, because he picked up a booking essentially that suspended him for the next game. So two of Brazil's really key players were out going into that semi-final. We all know what happened in that semi-final. We'll come on to that in a minute. 
But Brian, we, we talk about Brazil maybe not being as good as they were built up to be going into the competition. They played Chile in the round of 16 and they played Colombia in the quarterfinals. Do you think they benefited from the fact that they played two nations that they know because they play regularly in South American competition? It's possible. I noticed that in the group stage, um, many European teams fail. Portugal, England, Italy, and most of the Latin American nations did well. Uh, Mexico, Uruguay, even Costa Rica qualified. Um, they struggle a lot against Chile. They deserve to lose this game. I remember Chile hit the, the post or, or the crossbar in, in the last minute. They deserve to win against Colombia then. It's difficult to say if it was an advantage playing against South American teams um, instead of Europeans, but... Um, I don't mean that the, the South American teams are easier. What I mean is that in qualifying that. in every other comp in the Copa America, they play against these teams all the time and they know them and there's not that unknown. There's not that clash of styles you get when you get two teams from different continents. I will be honest, normally, except for Brazil, I prefer to face South American teams um, rather than Europeans for Argentina. I feel more comfortable playing um, Ecuador rather than Netherlands or in, in general. And, and maybe it was the case. Maybe it was the case. Uh, Ali, Netherlands, they uh, scraped through to the semifinals. They beat Costa Rica on penalties. You'd had an incredible tournament up until that point, exceeded all expectations. This game will always be remembered for Tim Krull mm. being brought on specifically for the shootout, and he saved two penalties. Great decision. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this was so. This was 2014 when Louis Van Gaal was about to take the Man United job. So yeah, there were a lot of eyes on him with his final, uh, yeah, final tournament with the Netherlands, and obviously they beat Spain so emphatically in the group stages. And then this was billed as yeah, like a, a tactical sort of masterclass from him. I don't know what, what Scott thinks about this as a Man United fan. Like. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tactical genius or dinosaur? <laughs> Boring. <laughs> but yeah, as a, as a Man United fan, did this was this like getting you really excited for him, seeing how the Netherlands were at this World Cup? Or? I don't think so. I mean, we'd just seen United be have their worst season pretty much. I was going to say worst season ever. At the time, it was their worst season ever. We, we've seen worse since, in my, in my books. Anyway. You've had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer since. So. Yes. Uh, anyway, another conversation <laughs> for another day. But uh, I think Louis van Gaal was exciting in the sense of knew what he was doing in a transition away from David Moyes, who there's that meme in there, whereas he's sitting in his office. I have no idea what I'm doing as he stares down the camera smiling. Um, but yeah. Obviously, Van Gaal was meant to be coming in. It didn't... I think, actually, if he'd have probably got a little bit more time in an extra year, we might have seen a better Man United under Van Gaal's image. But goodness me, it was boring. I, mean, I think they went for a long time uh, not scoring in the first half at home. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it just seemed like they were passing the ball sideways. You know, We didn't see that out of the Netherlands in, in this tournament, really. There were some really standout moments for them. Uh, but... It just didn't work for United. Were you watching this earmarking which Dutch players you might buy? Because I know you, had, you got Daily Blind in the end. Were there other players? Were you impressed by him like in particular? Memphis Depay oh, yeah, as Memphis well. Memphis later. Yeah, Memphis yeah. Depay. Uh, and I can't remember who else. I think they might have been linked with a few other players. But Mem Memphis was the one I was excited about. And uh, I'm resurgence. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't go too well for Memphis at United either. He's been linked with a move back more recently as well but yeah uh, just a spell I prefer to remember I want to look forward with another Dutch manager <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take it on to the semi-finals Sean 
arguably the most shocking result in World Cup history. The host nation, Brazil, absolutely humiliated by Germany. A German side that weren't exactly blowing teams away. We're just kind of cruising through games, getting through, being incredibly efficient. But it only took 30 minutes for them to go 5-0 up in this one. And it was a disaster for Brazil, who had bruises from the previous game. Neymar's mentioned, Thiago Silva. But nobody envisaged this. Yeah, I mean, as I keep saying, I, just, I was just waiting for it to fall apart for Brazil. I could not tell you how much I was laughing in that first eight minutes when they're five goals down. It was, just, But every goal, like you watch it back, it's... It's like in the last minute of a game where they're just where they're trying to nick a goal. It's just they're they're over the place. Some players are walking, but some are like super frantic. David Luiz is about ten yards out of position in every goal that goes in. Um, I just couldn't believe it. And this must be. I know, uh, there's a clip where they when it gets to seven 0 where the Brazil fans just start clapping Germany because they're just like you know what fair enough. But I couldn't imagine. Imagine being in that stadium. Imagine being Brazilian. Like, like, football is your religion. You want this team to win the World Cup on home soil. You're in that stadium together. That must be the most surreal feeling. There was, I can't imagine what that must have been like. If there was ever a game I would like to go revisit, <laughs> it would probably be that one to be in the, there in the flesh. Because it just looked to me like I couldn't... And most people couldn't believe what they were seeing. Uh, but it just looked like a team on the pitch under the weight of a nation absolutely melting against another team that were pretty competent and knew what they were doing and just absolutely no uh, no remorse, just there to get a job done. And you'd have this, like we we know, like obviously I've lived in the UK for all my life. I can't imagine what it's like in Brazil and all the pressure that are put on that team with all the history that they have. Maybe Brian knows a little bit better than me knowing a few Brazilians. Uh, but honestly, seeing that without Neymar, without Thiago Silva, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it ever again. Man United have tried to come close a few times, <laughs> uh, but I don't think so. Brian, um, as an Argentine, were you watching this and, and enjoying it and sort of poking fun at your neighbours or was you sitting there thinking, my God, I don't want to meet Germany in the final? Honestly, I prefer um, playing against Brazil in the final. But I cannot say that I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I obviously did. Brian and sitting on the beach in LA, rubbing his hands together. And yes, and Argentinian fans will always remind, uh, and Argentinian fans will. There were so many Argentinians in Brazil, and they were they celebrated this this victory so much, and it was such a traumatic experience for Brazil. And this is because of the history and and. I would like to, to go a little bit um, on this. Um, it was not just Brazil. It was not just seen the most successful football nation um, in World Cup's history failing. It was seen them failing again, even though none of us was there to see World Cup 1950. Um, in World Cup 1950, they arrived to the last game that it was not a final, it was kind of a group of four, so they arrived to the last game and they only needed a draw against Uruguay to win the cup. And they were playing at home and they were favorites and they were leading 1-0 by halftime and they lost. And they was, that this was such a tragedy that all the Brazilians remember that and the people that don't remember were told that by, by their parents and all the Brazilians went to World Cup 2014 thinking, okay, it's impossible. You know, we can win, we can lose, but it's impossible that things go 
as bad, as traumatic as it was in 1950, and they, they achieved that. I think that after this, they will never host a World Cup again. It will not happen in 100 years. <laughs> Ali, what do you remember of this one? Um, uh, yeah, I think I just remember there was almost a sense of like inevitability when like the second or third Germany got one in, then suddenly every time they went forward, you just thought, like they're going to score. I think Kadira and Cruz were like amazing in midfield that in that in that game. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean it was it was ridiculous. But yeah, it almost I don't know. Like looking back, you can't believe what you saw. But then at the time, it sort of every time they went forward and scored, it kind of makes sense. It was yeah a really bizarre game. It was the definition of a collapse, wasn't it? I mean, uh, five 0 down after thirty minutes, as mentioned, Brazil's biggest margin of defeat since 1920 when they lost 6-0 to Uruguay. Closer uh, of Germany became the World Cup's all-time scorer with his 16th goal in tournament history. Scott, he doesn't get spoken about enough in the World Cup history context, does he? Because his know. club career, was it, was it that great? He was never that like, amazing, like, all-time great, but he was very effective for Germany. And I hope... He was a specialist. He, yeah, he was. I think that's a good word, that's a good word for him. We just never really... He scored a lot of goals at club level, obviously, but he never played for that. Like, was he ever one of the greatest strikers in the world? I don't think so. You know, and and there was a lot of controversy around uh, Miroslav Klose because he's actually Polish, and it's the same with Lukas Podolski. Yeah. There was a lot oh, of yeah. there was a lot of talk about them two and their kind of prominence within the German setup because of that fact, and they were seen as kind of traitors by their own sort of Polish people, and and that was. That always followed those two around, I think, and it just prevented them from becoming real German legends. I don't know if that's fair or not. Yeah, if you're German and listening to this, get in touch with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Germany in that game uh, became the World Cup's all-time top-scoring nation uh, with 223 goals, overtaking Brazil on their own patch. Just a question, is 7-1 more embarrassing than 6-0? Uh, the one for Brazil really ruins it. Like seven nil would have just been because it's all sort of like Germany's kind of like give up in the last few minutes. Like here you go, Oscar, just score a goal. But like, seven, it's the it's the novelty of seven, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think so. I'm of the how many, how many times the team score seven goals? Yeah, in a semi final, yeah. in a World yeah. Cup semi final yeah. against a team that is playing Away. at home. Yeah, yeah. And this team is Brazil. Yeah, seven. <laughs> That's a lot of goals. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that the more you concede is more embarrassing. So I think mm. like. If the seven outweighs the zero, did it ever get the treatment of uh, you know they they put it on the video video printer or something afterwards and it's <laughs> one seven in brackets written <laughs> seven. <laughs> did this kind of like this feels like the first of over the course of the decade the first real game where a team a big team caves in on itself because I think in the last few years there's been a lot of those where the big teams. I'm sure you know Scott and Man United. It's happened with Spurs a lot as so well. So much legend. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but this is like the first time that it probably we saw a big legendary team get wallops like this, get embarrassed. And it's just set the, the like tone that. for the next few years. Plenty of times. Exactly, yeah. Wasn't it? It was kind of like that Barcelona Bayern Munich semi final. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah, there the were players yeah. that played, in, played for Bayern and then played for, for Germany as well. Yeah, it must have been, yeah. Brian, in the other semi-final, uh, Argentina and Netherlands went right down to the wire. Argentina, in the end, winning on penalties. I must admit, I, I feared that given how Argentina had kind of morphed into Germany at this point, and Germany were all of a sudden scoring goals, that this could be a, a big issue for, for Argentina in the final. 
And obviously that was much closer than maybe I expected, but a, a really difficult Netherlands side to play against, actually. They were really good in this tournament, I thought. Um, what do you remember of it? Obviously, Mascherano to stand out again. Yeah, it's the same. After this game, it was evident that all these doubts that we had about Argentinians' defence were gone. Um, uh, again, it was a game that was maybe a bit ugly to watch for neutral fans. Um, um, That's an understatement. Ma yeah. Um, <laughs> Machelano had a massive save in the, in the last minute. Um, and it was not only his what he was representing for the team on the pitch, it was also out of it. There is an image, a video that went viral, at least in Argentina, um, right after the World Cups, that Mascherano takes Romero a bit to the side, and he tells him, um, today you become a hero. Um, it happened, and he, he saved two, two penalties. But another match where Messi was not Messi, he was okay, he was not terrible. There is a lot of criticism about Messi that I don't share. He had an okay World Cup, but he was not Messi. And Argentina made it because uh, the team was so solid in defense and, and because we had Mascherano as a leader. Brian, can I, can I ask Brian a question? I don't mean to bring up painful moments from, your, uh, from Argentina's past, but... We are doing it a lot today. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the show is about. Uh, 98. Does that, like, as an Argentina fan, that goal that Dennis Bergkamp scored, does that, like, factor in? Does that, like, as an Argentina fan, do you, do you want to get revenge, for example, in that game? It is a painful moment, 98. It is another painful match because we, we had chances to win, but, but I don't think that it was. It was not in my mind um, taking revenge for that game, especially because there is no rivalry with Netherlands. I think that uh, we all wanted just to be on the final. It, it, it was not about taking revenge for what had happened. You're a better man than me, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Louis van Gaal didn't bring on Tim Krul for this penalty shootout and they ended up losing it. Disgrace. Yeah. Should never have been given the United what, what job. What is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? Yeah, I remember there was a lot around that, um, but it was a masterstroke the first time around. I mean, there's no guarantee that he goes and does it again. Although Tim Krul's career since... I think he saved a penalty against Man United before, <laughs> just just going back. Uh, but he's he's actually got a pretty decent record at that. Uh, Norwich City legend. Yeah, Norwich City legend. But, um, you know, I think the right team qualified from that one. Sean, the final. We'll come to Brian in a minute because I know this is painful. I want to give him some time to uh, prepare. Um, not the most entertaining World Cup final, it's fair to say. But these games tend to be quite cagey. Nobody wants to lose it. Um, what were your kind of memories of this? Because going into it, Lionel Messi, Brian mentioned, wasn't great. Yeah. He'd yet to score a goal in the knockout round of this competition. There was a lot of pressure on him, and I feel like that, you know, that hindered him in a way. Yeah, I think that was definitely something that was considered because Argentina weren't. I, I didn't feel like they were the favourites going into this, and you factor all that other stuff. It would it would have taken like a massive kind of moment for them to have become world champions here even if it's gone to penalties again which nearly did happen but all but for Mario Goetze but um, I remember looking at the lineups that day and just thinking how the hell did Argentina get here <laughs> just <laughs> it, it, honestly like I think when you get to a World Cup final it's always a story of missing out on the last step but I think it was you look at especially when I was Argentina in the next World Cup it was a pretty minor miracle not well maybe not a miracle with Argentina of course but pretty amazing job that they even got to the final 
Uh, Brian, pour your heart out, my friend. No, it's fine. And <laughs> you said Whenever someone says no, it's fine, it means it's not fine. We should just you title know, this podcast, Brian's uh, Pain. <laughs> you said a few seconds ago it wasn't the greatest final to watch. I think that that says a lot about the good job that Sabela did with the team because he won the tactical battle against Love and Germany had to play with the conditions that Argentina imposed. Like it was not like it was against Brazil. And everybody, of course, after, imagine going to a final after beating Brazil 7-1, your, your confidence. And I think that Argentina was better than Germany during these 120 minutes. Of course, that means nothing. But uh, Sabela imposed his conditions. Germany was neutralized. It's not that Argentina was much better, but was, Argentina was the team that had the best chances. One very clear for Higuain first half one for Messi in the second half, and another one for Rodrigo Palacio in the extra time. Of course, if you don't score, everything else um, is useless, and Germany scored in minute 114th. Um, but that's it. Um, Argentina played a, a, a good game and was only... didn't win because we, we didn't score. That's it. The chances were there. How much is that held against Higuain in Argentina? Oh, that's that's another painful thing because uh, um, really after that uh, Higuain really became the face of all the memes and he mm. suffered a lot of bullying and on top of that he missed also very clear chances in the two Copa America finals that we lost against Chile. So um, this is the main reason why Higuain retired from the Argentine national team at such a young age. He... Uh, had such a difficult time and he spoke about that in, in many interviews. He was really victim of bullying on, on, on social media after these three finals. Scrap the title Brian's Pain, let's call it Higuain's Pain. Um, one thing that just came to my mind when, when Brian mentioned Rodrigo Palacio was that sorry excuse of a ponytail <laughs> thing that he had, the rat tail. Do you, he, does he still have that? What, what was that all about? The work, it was voted the worst haircut in, in sport. If you ask me, this is why Argentina didn't win the final. Oh, look at it. <laughs> that is not fit for a World Cup winner. Um, if he had scored, uh, I would consider it the sexiest hurt. hurt Everyone in Argentina is getting the rat tail. Uh, <laughs> hey, you look at Ronaldo's haircut in 2002. It could have been alongside that if he had delivered. I'll tell you what would have been a, a, a great haircut. <laughs> you know what would have been a great business idea if Argentina won? Just stick on ones of those. Stick on rat tails. Just sell them on eBay. be flying. Um, but yeah, Brian, I mean, how do you process a World Cup final defeat? Because it's, it's one of those things that when you get there, you must feel like for a lot of nations, maybe not Argentina, maybe not Germany, but you feel like this is a once in a generation thing. And, and when you get there, you're, you're so built up and there's so much pressure on that moment. How does a country, a footballing nation with so much passion like Argentina recover from something like that? Um, definitely losing a final is heartbreaking. Um, Argentina lost a lot of finals over, over, over the last year, but there was one thing that I think is the most painful one. Um, hopefully at some point, I hope it's soon, um, we can see Argentina winning a World Cup, but we will never have the chance, at least not in 100 years, to see Argentina winning a World Cup in Brazil. And yeah, if yeah, we had achieved yeah. that, then I wouldn't care that Brazil has five and we would have three. Like, imagine what it would have meant for Argentinians 
to win, to lift this trophy at Maracaná Stadium. And we will never have this chance again. We won the Copa America there. It's definitely not the same. It was a good achievement, but it's not the same. And we can win a World Cup, and I hope we do it at some point, but not in Brazil. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, indeed. Um, Sean, Germany deserve credit, though, right? We spent a lot of time kind of focusing on Argentina. But Germany, when you look at how they performed throughout the tournament, mm-hmm. how they were efficient in games where they weren't at their best, but also ruthless when they had the opportunity to be or, or when anybody showed a sign of weakness like Brazil did in the semi-final and I was looking at the German team and, and if you look at the lineup um, like it's not the greatest German team like they've been better ones on paper um, you know people like Havadez at left back you know Boateng at centre back was Boateng that good I, I look at some of these players and I think Kramer in midfield um, he, he got concussed like within the first yeah. minute or so didn't he um, yeah um, Kramer, he, he doesn't yeah, he, remember, yeah. he said in an interview that he doesn't remember anything about the first half. Yeah, yeah. That he doesn't understand how he kept playing for 14 minutes after <laughs> yeah. that. To be fair, yeah. I don't remember much of the first half either. <laughs> Common thing. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This this was a team of good players that fit together. And I think you mentioned it at the top about um, the successive semifinals that they'd been to and all that other stuff. It did feel like this was a team that had kind of grown up together. You know, they got to the Euros final in 08, even before that in 06, they got to the semis and were heartbroken by Italy on home soil. Got to the semis in 2010 with a really young team with a lot of these players who come in, like Ozil, Müller, as young players. They had grown into it. Euro 2012, they lost Italy rather unluckily. I thought they were probably a better matchup to go to get Spain in the final. And I felt like this was like the crowning glory. This was, this is like the model for international football for me. This is how you kind of grow a team, you, how you bring in young players, how you develop that kind of um, personality as a squad. And this was it. This was the crowning, crowning glory. They can look back and say, we did this our way and we won a World Cup and we totally deserved it. You can't take anything away from us. Scott, just a kind of final point on this. I know this was a long time ago now, but did this kind of dispel the myth that you need tons of pace in your forward line to be an effective outfit because to have Miroslav closer up top and then Mesut Ozil and, and Muller in and around them none of them are rapid none of them want to go in behind none, there's none of that so did that kind of prove the point at that point that you didn't always need to have speed merchants in the way that I think a lot of people felt at the time yeah absolutely I mean you look at I'm sure uh, we have an Arsenal fan on the table and a Tottenham fan on the table. I'm not sure how uh, you both react to Mesut We were getting Ozil. on just fine. And <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, but, you know, he was at that age where... Yeah, you, you, you talk about like not having the flashiest names there, but they did, did have a lot of players at the right ages, at the right times of their development as players who were at the top of their game. And obviously they're technical players, they're smart players who managed to make a difference and that's basically how Germany operated through the tournament without you know if you knock aside the the context of the 7-1 uh very effective outfit and obviously this was the time for them to win it as well because we saw in 2018 how it pretty much fell apart for them uh but yeah you probably make a good point there Harry to be honest I mean there's a there's a lot of quality in there I I actually fancy Germany to do pretty well at 2022 uh, but we'll see. I think they might be back this time around with a little bit more pace this time. Interesting stuff. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great episode. 
looking back on the 2014 World Cup. Make sure you keep an eye uh, on the rest of the series. One more World Cup to go uh, as we build up towards uh, this year's World Cup, which is just around the corner. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you leave us a review if you're listening uh, on Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back very soon with more. Stay tuned to the feed. Thanks to Ali. Thanks to Brian. Thanks to Sean. And thanks to Scott. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.